The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Great to have you together with us, and off we go with today's show, which, interestingly enough, is a speech that I delivered to a group in New Jersey uh, this past week, and I thought you might be interested in it. Um, it's a it's a group called uh, Kingdom Chamber, and uh, it is a group of Christian business professionals, men and women, um, who gather regularly in order to help each other grow their businesses according to biblical principles. There are a lot of groups like this around the United States of America. I love speaking for them. I've spoken for many of them. But uh, this particular group is celebrating its 13th anniversary. I spoke for them two years ago, and I promised them that uh, if they made it to their 13th year, which is the sort of bar mitzvah year, uh, I would come back and speak for them, which has happened, and I did this past week. And uh, we were talking about change, and I think if I had to summarize the theme of my talk, it's uh, change is opportunity. And I explain a little bit about that in the speech, explaining how it is that um, we have to recognize change and welcome change as part of our day-to-day business strategy. And I, I speak about uh, a, a number of companies. I alluded specifically, uh, what I did is I made a list of uh, well-known large companies that between them in the last couple of years have closed over 1,500 stores, you know, which is a huge hit to the economy. It's not a good thing. Uh, Macy's, American Apparel, Gap, uh, JCPenney, Joseph Bank, uh, Men's Warehouse, Radio Shack, Sears, Sports Authority, Kmart, Staples, Target, Walmart, those companies between them have closed over 1,500 stores, and uh, that means a lot of employees gone. It means uh, anchor tenants in malls are gone, and uh, it's quite serious. Well, these are all big companies run by smart people. What went wrong? Well, it's very simple. You know the answer right away. What went wrong is that um, people started buying online, and this, this shouldn't have been a surprise, but it was. Uh, the Internet has been around for quite a while now. Um, Jeff Bezos uh, upended things when Amazon, close to bankruptcy itself, by the way, realized that their destiny lay not just in selling books, but in selling literally everything. As a matter of fact, Amazon's just recently been approved to sell pharmaceuticals. So uh, there are an awful lot of... Uh, pharmacies that are trembling right now because of the change this brings to their business. Anyways, um, I'm going to be speaking about that. It's going to be coming up again as usual. You'll pardon me. The audio isn't quite the way we like it on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin show. And uh, and we've we've done our best to to enhance it. But in the final analysis, uh, the recording is a recording of a lecture, and the, the quality is certainly not what you're accustomed to. But I hope that it's listenable to, if I can use a cumbersome, non-existent phrase. Uh, I think that that'll be the best. Okay, so uh, let's carry on then with a talk about business by the Bible and uh, the, uh, the, the value in recognizing change, as well as three tips 
on how to sense coming trends. All of that in this particular speech. Uh, here it comes, and I'll uh, rejoin you at the end. As always, I uh, invite you, and nay, I urge you to visit the website at rabbidaniellappin.com. That's right, rabbidaniellappin.com. And uh, make sure you're on Thought Tools, you're, on the, you're subscribed on their Thought Tools list, and also look into some of the special offers that are available for folks who are regular listeners to this particular uh, podcast. Thanks very much. Here comes the lecture. Back with you after it. Ancient solutions to modern problems. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. You want to save money in a place that gives you growth, control, and certainty without stock market risk or tax risk, and you want guarantees and you want it all tax-free. That's a tall order. But you can get all of that with properly designed participating whole life insurance. Most people think life insurance pays after you're dead. That's true. But you can have tax-free access to use your life insurance while you're alive. Get the free book to find out how. Call 702 660 Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of how the world really works on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Well, I've intended speaking about the 13th anniversary of Kingdom Chamber, uh, but I, I, I have to tell you, as impressed as I am with that, I am even more impressed with another number. 24 years. <laughs> married and working together during that time. <laughs> I gotta tell you, my wife and I are very similar to Paul and Angela in the sense that Susan and I also work together. We've also been married for a few years. I, it, I never remember exactly, but it's somewhere about 24. And, um, Actually, our daughter is older than 24, so it's, <laughs> so it's, it's a bit more maybe. But uh, bottom line is, it's really hard for married couples to work together. It really is. How many of you, are there any other co-couples working, work couples working together? Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I don't have to go into the, the issues. I mean, uh, first of all, you never leave the office when you live with your co-director. <laughs> Do you have any idea of what it's like sleeping in the office? Right? With your co-director. It's, it's enormously problematic. And how decisions are made. And how egos have to be suppressed constantly. Um, it really is a challenge. And uh, Susan and I have been talking for a while about writing a book about married couples working together. Uh, we haven't done it yet, uh, but we are collecting uh, names and contact information for couples that do work together in the hope that if we do do the book, we'll interview a whole lot of people and arrive at some of the techniques that people have evolved to enable them to work together. But that's obviously something that, that Paul and Angela have triumphed in already a long time ago. And uh, the fact that we're here for a 13th year anniversary dinner is testimony to that. And my goodness, I feel so good about being here because this is such a perfect match. 
you rebuilding our businesses with biblical principles. Yeah. Well, one of my books is called Business Secrets from the Bible. There you got it, business and the Bible. Another one, as Angela said, is called uh, Thou Shalt Prosper, the 10 Commandments for Making Money. Again, this link between money and the Bible is absolutely foundational. Look, it's not an accident that atheistic regimes in the history of the world have never been able to build viable economies. Never been able to do it. Not Cuba, not Russia. And the only reason, you want to know why China is succeeding, and they are succeeding, because of something that was written by a man called Peter Zhao, who is a high-ranking government official in China, and also involved with a publishing company that published one of our books in China. Uh, Peter Zhao did an article in the Wall Street Journal a few years ago, pointing out that today in China, there are more Christians than members of the Chinese Communist Party. That's huge. It's more than 100 million of people who believe in the Bible. And those people constitute the core groups of economic vitality in mainland China. So faith and money absolutely go together. And atheism and poverty also go together. They really do. And that's why it is that in the United States of America, which is the greatest engine of prosperity that the world has ever known, in no other time in history and in no other place in history have so many people gone from having nothing to having a lot in such a short period of time. The growth in the standard of living, the growth in the, gro in the gross domestic product, never been anywhere, nothing like the United States of America. And where do we write the phrase, in God we trust? Not on the walls of churches where you would have thought it belongs. For heaven's sake, it's on the money. Because we get it. We get it. That when you strip away the biblical structures of not only faith in God, and after all, money depends on faith. What is a recession other than people losing faith in tomorrow? Money and faith, of course, go together, but it's not only that. It's also that an economy is maintained and vitalized and rejuvenated by all the rules and rituals and restraints of biblical living. Yielding to our animalistic impulse destroys wealth. This is one of the reasons that, again, a biblical model of marriage has turned out to be absolutely foundational to creating wealth. The most successful people in America are married. That's a crucial thing. How about poverty? Who are the poorest people in America? Not who you'd guess. The poorest people in America are single males. Single males, of every color, by the way, and of every race and of every creed and of every kind. Single males is the defining characteristic of poverty in America. 
that biblical model really does work. And, and how beautiful that we're celebrating 13 years of this linkage between business and the Bible, right here. 13 years of it. And it's so exciting to me, of course, because in uh, ancient Jewish wisdom, we have the idea of something called a bar mitzvah. Now, I have to tell you that a bar mitzvah is not an extravagant party with a carving of the bar mitzvah boy done in chopped liver. <laughs> All right? This is not the correct definition of a bar mitzvah. Uh, a bar mitzvah is not the place where a 13-year-old boy gets to dance with his 11-year-old cousin to the disco racket of the latest band. No. I admit that all those things happen among my people to my embarrassment and mortification. I wish it weren't the case. But what a bar mitzvah really is, is when a young man is made at one with his people. And he's being told, look, up till now, you were just an embarrassment. I mean, a teenage boy, we wanted to put you away in a locked room somewhere till you've turned 13. But now that you've turned 13, we're willing to expose you to our friends. We're willing to expose you to our community. We're willing to give you the connections with other human beings. And again, that's what Angela referred to a little bit earlier. The connections, are, and she said, look around the tables you're at. And we'll talk about connections, so important. Because God, who seemed to love everything he created, right? He created everything, and after everything, he looked at it, and God saw that it was good, right? And the very first time God says, not good, is for what? <coughs> Folks, if you want to get out tonight, you're going to need to work with me just a little bit. <laughs> I can't do this all by myself, you know. And I really don't want to have to spend time on remedial Bible here. So let's take a good look at where does God say not good for the first and only time in the Bible. Not good for man to be alone. Now, a lot of people think that just refers to Adam's matrimonial prospects and that the next thing was going to happen, we're going to see Eve coming along. But actually, that's not what happens. What actually happens is we see a whole zoological survey going on. All the animals are brought. What's that got to do with anything? Because this isn't just about Eve. Not good for man to be alone is a general prescription that is true tonight, and it's true last week, and it's true a hundred years ago, and it's true a thousand years ago. You're listening to Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Find more at theblaze.com slash radio. Revealing how the world really works. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Anytime a human being is isolated from other people, he loses his health and he loses his money. We get health from our connection to other people. We get our money from connection to other people. And finally, we get our identity, our whole sense of personhood, our sense of dignity, our sense of selfhood 
comes from our connection with other people. The next time I hear a teenage man saying, boy, pardon me, saying to me, I need to go somewhere alone so I can find myself, you idiot. <laughs> That's not where you're going to find yourself. You find yourself within your relationships with other people. Don't tell me you've got to take yourself and go off somewhere alone. That's the last thing you need. You need to be tightly interfaced with other human beings. And that's what the bar mitzvah says to a 13-year-old. And it's interesting that the, uh, you know, in the Lord's language in Hebrew, and Angela referred to one of the books that Susan and I wrote, uh, revealing some of the secrets of the Lord's language, one of the fascinating things is that every letter has a numerical equivalent, okay? So in English, if we were to look at an, uh, at an analogy, English, it would be as if A equals 1, B equals 2, C equals 3, D equals 4, etc., etc., right? And, uh, and, and th there is no such thing in Hebrew, it doesn't mean anything, but, you know, imagine if we took in English the English word for year, Y-E-A-R, and let's say we say, well, Y is uh, 25, and E is 5, that's 30, and A is 1, and R is whatever it is. I don't remember exactly, but it doesn't matter. Because one thing is for sure, and that is it doesn't come up to 365, does it? But in the Lord's language, if you take the Hebrew word for year and you add up all the, the letters, it comes out to be the number of days in the year. If you take the Hebrew word for pregnancy and you add up all the, the letters, it comes out to be 271, which is the average number of days that women are pregnant before they give birth. And so on and so forth. These are, I mean, it's called the Lord's language for a reason, right? That's how it works. So there's just a lot of very important indications like this. Well, the, uh, the Hebrew word for one is the word echad. And it's made up of three letters, an aleph, a chet, and a dalet. The numerical equivalent of the three letters that make up the word one is one, eight, four. This is not a tough arithmetic problem. <laughs> eight plus four plus one, 13. 13. It's interesting, that's right. 13 and one are linked. Now, when did the one nation of Israel evolve? When did that nation of Israel become one nation instead of a bunch of separate tribes? Not when Father Jacob had 12 sons who became 12 tribes. No, it actually happened when Father Jacob was about to bless Joseph. And he said, I'll tell you what, Joseph, we're going to move you aside and we're going to take your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they're going to replace you. And again, we're talking about towards the end of the book of, uh, of Genesis, uh, chapter 48, you'll find the story. Now, here's what happened. Father Jacob has 12 sons, right? He, he calls Joseph and he says, bring your two sons to see me. It's towards the end of Jacob's life. So Joseph comes along and Father Jacob says to him, we're going to move you aside. So 12 minus Joseph leaves 11. And now he takes the two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and he says, now they are going to be my sons, just like Reuben and Simon. So 11 plus 2, 13. And that is when they became a nation. 
13 and 1 is very important. It's interesting to me, as an immigrant to this country, as I, as I began to learn a little bit about the early history of the country, and there's, there's just so much, but one of the things that struck me as interesting is that um, at the Constitutional Convention, they were trying to decide you know, when, when they were going to become one nation, and they had 12 original colonies, and they wouldn't go ahead and make the nation. They were waiting for one little state called Rhode Island. Anyone here from Rhode Island? So I'm not going to insult anybody if I speak badly of Rhode Island. All right, well then, all I wanted to say was, who cares about Rhode Island? I mean, if Rhode Island is holding out for month after month after month after month, if it was me, I'd have said, you know what, who needs you guys? We got 12, we'll go with 12. Little kids forever will sing 12 original colonies instead of 13. Who cares? Apparently, all those Bible believers cared because they knew that in order for it to start on a solid grounding, it needed 13. And they wouldn't go ahead until Rhode Island joined in. They wanted 13 for the same reason that ancient Israel started off also with those 13. And so here we've got something really, really profound that we've reached 13 years. And, and Angela's right, two years ago, I did say, gosh, if you do a 13th year event, I'm there. Because this is very exciting. Because once an organization has reached 13 years, it stands. There it is. It's there. Now, does, um, does God want us to be doing what we are here tonight to celebrate, this linkage between the Bible and business? Or is that something that the Lord wants from us? And the answer is absolutely yes. Now, we have to think for a moment what a business really is. When uh, I was doing some of the early research for one of our books, I spoke to a number of professors and in the business schools around the country. And I also was able to find out what some of the heads of the business schools used as their definition of business. I mean, after all, if you're the head of a business school, you would think that you could define the word business. Here's the crazy thing. The heads of the six biggest business schools in the country couldn't agree on what a the definition of a business is. Most times they gave long paragraph long answers. A business is it's really not that complicated. And I can tell it to you as simply as you could tell it to me. A business is something that has customers. It's as simple as that. No customers, no business. If you are serving God's other children, you have a business. And therefore we have to ask ourselves what money is. You know what money is? Again, you could look at the standard definitions from the business schools around the country and you'll get a headache from reading these definitions that have long words in them, none of which actually mean anything. The definition of money is really simple. It is simply a measure of how much you have done for other human beings. That's all. Now, does this rule out volunteer work? And No, of course not. All of that is wonderful. But I don't think any of us here fail to understand that volunteer work is what you do when your cup is full. 
You don't do volunteer work if you're not eating. And that's why when, okay, so we observe the Lord's Day on Saturday, right? And so six days shalt thou work, and the seventh you have to rest. You've got to be with the Lord on that day. So when that day ends for us on Saturday night, we have a ceremony called the Havdalah ceremony, which means the division between sacred time and the rest of the week. And what do we do? We celebrate it by pouring a cup of wine or grape juice or beer or orange juice or whatever it is you want to drink. Uh, it, it can be anything. And you pour a cup full of it, and then you don't stop pouring when it reaches the brim like we normally do in civilized circumstances. We pour until it overflows and runs over the side. And the, what is the meaning? The meaning is that, Lord, I'm about to start my week's work. I've finished 25 hours with you. I'm now going back to work. And I'm now committed to working, not till my cup is full, but till my cup runneth over. Because the extra is for your other children. And whatever we do, it is so crucial that we establish and impose a sanctified purpose in what we do. There's still more to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. You love your wife. Uh, yes, you I love do. your significant I other. I love his wife. I love her too. Only on <laughs> Tuesdays right. when he's gone. Yeah. Actually, wait. Uh, today's my anniversary. Happy birthday, honey. I love you. Today's your your wedding anniversary? Yeah, today's my wedding anniversary. Why'd you just Tomorrow. say Tomorrow. Yeah, why'd you say happy birthday? I didn't say it, but I said happy anniversary. Oh. Like, happy birthday. said happy birthday. I did not say happy birthday. I said you happy said anniversary. Happy. You said Kirk. You said, you said happy birthday. <laughs> did I really? Yeah, yeah you yeah, really yeah, did. That's yes. right. The Morning Blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. With stories in the areas of family, friendship, faith, and finance, this is Rabbi Daniel Lappin. Only on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Am I working to make money? Absolutely not. No. I'm working to serve your other children, God. The money will flow by itself. That's not a question mark. Now, if you don't know that simple rule, you're going to make horrible mistakes. I'll give you an example. How many times have you heard people saying, you must find work that you enjoy doing? Oh, that way you'll never work out. You'll always be happy. How many times have you heard people say, you must find work you enjoy doing? Many times, right? Well, I've got news for you. I enjoy fishing. And I have yet to make a penny on it. I do not know how to make money from fishing because even professional fishermen that I know have trouble making money. No, that's absolutely wrong. As long as you think making money is a selfish activity so I can get money, then yeah, I guess it makes sense. You may as well not only get money, you may as well do what you enjoy doing. Go on, be selfish the whole way. But no, that's wrong. This is about serving other people. And therefore... Anytime people ask me for career advice, I never say, well, what do you really enjoy doing? Who cares? I don't. My question is, what can you best do to serve other human beings? Let's find out what other people in your orbit need. Let's find out a way you can improve their lives. 
The money will flow, I promise you. All you've got to do is be focused on serving other people. Now, what is, uh, it, it's very, very clear that the Lord wants us to make money. Why? Because what he wants us to do is to be obsessively preoccupied on serving the needs of his other children. And money is the way we measure the success of that mission. That's all. There are countless rules about giving charity. Give money away. And in the Lord's language, in Hebrew, there's a general rule that if one word is used for two apparently separate ideas, those two ideas are not separate at all. They are really fundamentally linked. Not true in English, right? The word soul, S-O-L-E, is the bottom of my foot, and it's a kind of fish I like eating with, uh, with, with French fries, or chips, as I used to call them. Uh, what is the bottom of my foot got to do with nothing at all, no linkage at all. But in the Lord's language, it's not like that. When you find a word that has more than one meaning, don't think those meanings are separate. They're all linked. In case in point, the Hebrew word for charity is the word for wealth. Why? Because anybody who's had any experience in the real world, and I'm sure this room is absolutely filled with people who could raise their hands and shout amen to the very simple proposition that when you give away money, it comes back to you extra. Yes or no? Yes. That, it's a reality. Now, people who don't do it think to themselves it doesn't make sense. I'm taking money out of my pocket and I'm giving it to somebody else. That means I'm going to have less at the end of it, not more. But they're wrong. You've got to actually experience it to see it's counterintuitive, but that is really exactly how it works. One of the reasons, and there are a number of explanations, and I, I deal with some of them in our books, but one of the explanations is that people see you give. Now, you know, we, we often say, well, you know, the highest level of charity is to give privately and anonymously, nobody gives it. In ancient Jewish tradition, that isn't so. We are perfectly happy for people to give publicly. It's no advantage to give money privately. You know why? Because when you give money away publicly, other people see it and they're inspired to do the same. Number two, here's another key thing. When you give away money publicly, people know that you are a generous person. Guess what that does to your social life? We all like associating with generous people. And as soon as I hear that somebody has been generous and given a gift, I like it. I think to myself, gosh, you know, we've got to spend a little more time. We've got to get to know that person a little bit better. Let's invite them over or whatever. That's good. Remember, not good for man to be alone. So anything that brings us closer together with one another is a positive thing. Well, guess what one of the consequences are of getting to know new people? You get to know new people. The next thing is you learn to serve those people. And guess what that does to your revenue? And so, look, are there very good people who poor? Sure there are. But that doesn't make it a virtue. That doesn't mean it's something we ought to emulate. You want to know why there are poor people who are good people? 
Like, I mean, doesn't God want to reward poor people? Reward people who are poor but also good? The answer is very simple. Very simple. If somebody steps out of a window on the 20th floor of a building, what's going to happen to him? He's going to have a very rapid and rather exciting ride. But it's going to end tragically a few seconds later. When that happens, and he stands before the pearly gates, and he says, Lord, I was, I was a really good person. I was one of your best children on earth. How, how come that happened to me? And the answer is very simple. The Lord says, I set up the world with a certain set of rules. You need to learn what those rules are, and you need to operate within those rules. That's why I gave you a book. My book is God's message to mankind. It's there you could have learned it. And one of the things you're expected to learn is also how the physical world works, not just the spiritual world. And the physical world works with a thing called gravity. You really shouldn't have done that. <laughs> My friends, there are exactly the same set of spiritual rules pertaining to money. And just because somebody's good, but ignores the fundamental principles the Bible gives us about business and money, of course he's going to be poor. What do you expect? That's, it's very simple. That's how it works. And so, there are a number of these principles about business. And I know that uh, during the course of the, the conference, all of tomorrow and, and, and during other events during the course of the year here at Kingdom Chamber, you've, you cover many of these things and you talk about these things and you absorb them into your being. And those are things that stop you from stepping out of the 20th floor window. These are things that not only keep you on the safe and steady path, but they also inspire you to climb the elevator shaft and get onto higher floors as well. I'll give you one of them just right here because I think it's so relevant to, uh, uh, to where we're all at at the present time. And that is that, uh, remember this very simple principle. Movement is life. Things that are stationary are dead, right? In fact, I don't know if any of you remember a, a grand Alfred Hitchcock movie. It's from years ago, 1963 it came out. But I always look at it again. I see clips of it every now and then. And I love looking at it again because it was so clever. Alfred Hitchcock did a movie called The Birds. Now, you know, you can just imagine him chuckling to himself. He's saying, I'm going to scare people out of their pants. I'm going to make them so frightened. And I'm going to use the most unfrightening, imaginable thing. Not ghosts, not vampires, canaries. Birds, little birds, who's scared of birds? Me! After watching the birds, I went home and killed my bird. No way I'm keeping that in the house. It was brilliant. And how, how did he conjure up, and you go back and look at this movie, how did he conjure up a, a sense of such total dread? He showed a scene, I don't know how he did it, where there were, I don't know, thousands and thousands of birds sitting on the telephone wires, and birds on the, and nothing was moving. It looked like a still photograph. Stillness is scary because it suggests death. No, when things are absolutely stationary, that's a really bad sign. Movement is life-affirming. That's why we love dance, right? 
I wish I was better at it. You've got to watch me dancing. It looks like a drunk trying to stamp on cockroaches. It's really bad. But I love watching people dance because it's so life-affirming. Don't, don't we all like being around water? Like you go on a picnic, you go to the, the beach, or you go to a lake or something, or to a waterfall, because water's always in motion. It's always moving. That's what gives us a sense of enthusiasm and passion. Life is movement. Things that are stationary suggest. More to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin, revealing how the world really works. On demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. By the way, speaking of kids. Um, blood and semen, too. Excuse me? Selling blood and semen, too. Valuable. Oh, That's get, not illegal, you though. You get money for that. Well, I don't think that you can go into a hospital and do it. You can't just walk in with some blood. Here it is. And say, here you go. Here's a bag of it. No, but you, there are places that will actually take that. There are places that will take heroin, too. Not legally. I've been, I've been collecting it for months. The Morning Blaze. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. We now return with Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. What is one of the great and beautiful things about business, my friends? Always in motion. Not stationary. And that's a vital key to always be able to see that the way your business is today is not the way it has to be next week or next month. There has to be change. There has to be constant movement. You know, the uh, end of Genesis, chapter 49, uh, Father Jacob gives a blessing to all his sons, right? One after the other. 30 verses, one after the other. The son who specializes in business is Zebulun. And so he is, he is told in his blessing by Jacob, you are going to be, your portion in Israel will be by the ocean. You will have ships and harbors. Why? What do ships mean? Transport, trade. Right? Even to this very day. Right? There are thousands of ships crossing the surface of the world's oceans at any time, and only a tiny, tiny proportion of them are carrying passengers on cruise liners. The overwhelming bulk of them are carrying cargoes, trade, goods, because Zebulun was the person who taught the tribes of Israel about business. And so hundreds of years later, when Moses was dying, end of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, Moses is now giving blessings to everybody. Interesting, when he comes to Zebulun, Zebulun's now already established as the business specialist from way back in Jacob's day. And now Moses blesses Zebulun, and he says to him, Blessed be Zebulun in your breaking out of boundaries. Because that's the key to business. Seeing a boundary and then ignoring it. <laughs> it's just not there. No limits. No limits at all. No boundaries. Blessed are thou Zebulun. Breaking through your boundaries. That's the concept. And change is always breaking out through concept. Through, uh, and companies that don't get that, businesses that don't get this, are simply doomed. Right? You know, just, just think about what, what does Macy's mean to you, or American Apparel, or The Gap, right? Or, uh, or how about um, J.C. Penney, or Joseph A. Banks? or Men's Warehouse, or Kmart, or Radio Shack, or Sears, or um, uh, Sports Apparel, a sports, uh, sports Authority, uh, or um, 
Walmart, uh, Target, um, these companies that I've listed in the last three years between them have closed over 1,500 branches, stores. Why? The stuff's selling, people are buying, yeah, they're buying it online. Now, 1,500 stores closing is pretty serious. Each of those stores has a lot of employees, they pay tax in the local community. Many of these stores are anchor tenants in malls. And I've seen malls around this country that are in serious decline because their anchor tenant was a Sears or a Macy's. These are problems. What went wrong with all these companies? They didn't recognize the inevitability of change. That's life. We welcome change. We love change. It scares us. But the only way to not be scared of change is to be dead, which is infinitely worse. We're happy with change, and we adapt to change, and we look out for change, and we're sensitive to it. How do we anticipate what's happening? Well, number one, you've got to put your ego aside. In 1874, a man called Alexander Graham Bell knocked on the door of the most important communication company in the world at that point. Their name was Western Union, and they controlled the telegraph, which connected continents since it was invented only a few years earlier in 1844 by Samuel Morse. Western Union was the giant of communication. And so a guy called Alexander Graham Bell had just come up with a thing called the telephone where you don't need to tap out a message on Morse code, you just talk. And he walked into um, uh, uh, Mr. Orton's office, who was the head of Western Union, and he said, hey, I don't have the money to develop this fantastic thing I've got called a telephone. I want you guys to take it over and share with me. And uh, the head of Western Union famously said, uh, I can't see any advantage that your device brings. I can't see anybody being interested in it. And that was the end of Western Union. They went down the hill because uh, Alexander Graham Bell walked out, went to his father-in-law, borrowed the money, and built up a little thing called the Bell Company. Change! And Mr. Orton of Western Union had his ego wrapped up. He had just built a huge new headquarters. He sat on the top floor. Western Union was on top of the world. His ego was wrapped up. He couldn't see the change that was staring him in the face. We've got to be able to put ego aside, and that way you're much more open to feeling the trends that are coming. The second thing is to recognize that uh, approaching events have footsteps that can be heard. You know, if you just think of uh, a kid sitting with his family at a picnic on the banks of a pond or a little lake, and there's a big fog comes over, and you can't see the other side of the lake. All of a sudden, the little boy says to his family, uh, watch out, if you look at the lake, you're gonna see ripples on the lake in a few moments. Everyone looks at the lake, and sure enough, the boy looks like a prophet, all kinds of ripples. How did you do it? How did you know there's gonna be ripples on the lake? He says, well, I wasn't involved in your conversation, and so I didn't hear any noise, and all I heard was somebody throw a pebble I heard a splash, and I knew that must have been somebody throwing a stone into the lake on the other side, so I knew it would only take a few moments before the ripples of that pebble. You've got to give yourself silent time. 
And we're very fortunate at Antwerp because we pray regularly. And during praying time, there's two things that happen. Number one, we move when we pray, right? Does anybody stand absolutely stationary when they pray? No, praying is joyful. You can't help it. You move. It's all, some people almost dance while they're praying. That's great. The other thing that happens is that uh, there's silent time. And when there's absolutely silent time, there's no television, your, your telephone is turned off, and you can then, at that point, really hear. You can hear the silent, soft sounds of approaching footsteps. These are the things that help us recognize the changes that are coming down the road. Looking at trends, realizing the implication of things we, have, we read about, being connected with our fellow human beings, sometimes through news, through papers, through internet, whatever it is, but you hear about things going on in your community and also in the larger world, things that could impact your business, things that could provide you with new opportunities. All of these are possibilities that enable us to see the change that's coming down the road and to enable us to welcome and embrace that change. And that, I think, is, is so central to the work that you all do here at Kingdom Chamber, um, becoming aware of the spiritual realities of business. And that's it's such an enormous key. It opens doors and it provides you with an incalculable advantage over the atheistic world that simply cannot ultimately get the essence of business. We are blessed in that we have that gift of being able to see it on a different level. And that is just one of the wonderful things about linking the Bible with faith and with our businesses. That link is so crucial to what we do and so absolutely essential to the work of Kingdom Chamber of Commerce. It is an enormous privilege for me to be here and to be part of this exciting work. It's so very close to my heart. I mean, it's, it's absolutely the essence of what I teach all the time. I, I taught it in Montreal last weekend to a wonderful church up there, a Haitian church. Uh, I, had a, I couldn't speak in French, I spoke in English, but there was a simultaneous translator uh, explaining in French to, to but th this, this was a similar sort of message. You've got to see that business doesn't start on Monday morning and end when you walk into church on Sunday. No, it's all one integrated entity. It all belongs together. And so uh, I am so happy to be here among you. You are the people who are supporting Kingdom Chamber. And I appreciate that very much because the work that you do, the work that Paul and Angela do, the work that everyone involved with Kingdom Chamber does makes my world a better place. It makes the economy in which I function a more vibrant and vital economy. And it makes the community in which I function and where I live a better place. That is just a little of all that is accomplished. And so I thank you very much indeed for your enormous contributions to life in this country through Kingdom Chamber. Your support of Kingdom Chamber is so vital and so very crucial. And you know what? It doesn't have to be private. It doesn't have to be private. Every time one of you reaches into your pocket and makes it possible for this ministry to carry its journey further and to lift itself onto higher floors of the building, I want to applaud. I love it. Love it. So I thank each and every one of you, and I thank you all for having me and allowing me the opportunity 
tonight and tomorrow to participate in this very, very special celebration when uh, Kingdom Chamber really becomes one. It becomes something that is here for real, only going in one direction, all the way up. God bless you and thank you. save money in a place that gives you growth control and certainty without stock market risk or tax risk and you want guarantees and you want it all tax free that's a tall order but you can get all of that with properly designed participating whole life insurance most people think life insurance pays after you're dead that's true but you can have tax-free access to use your life insurance while you're alive get the free book to find out how call 702-660-7000 welcome back to the blaze radio network on demand with rabbi daniel lapin hi everybody and that uh, pretty much brings us to the end of today's rabbi daniel lapin show uh, the show where i do my very best to bring you insights into how the world really works and uh, these ideas relating to business uh, relate to you no matter what you're doing it doesn't matter whether you see yourself as an employee wrongly because as i teach regularly it is crucial for success to see yourself as being in business for yourself even if in reality others would see you as being an employee. It doesn't matter whether you are busy raising a family at home. It doesn't matter whether you are struggling to build a business as an incipient entrepreneur. But the idea of change is applicable regardless of what you do. We all fear change, and yet change is just another word for opportunity. But one has to learn to be comfortable with it. That's what I've been talking about, and that's also what I discuss elsewhere in my Income Abundance Set, which, of course, you can read more about in the store section of my website at rabbidaniellappin.com. So visit there. Be in touch. Love to hear from you. And also uh, take a look and make sure you are subscribed to Susan's Musings, uh, Ask the Rabbi, uh, Thought Tools. These are three different emails we send out each week. Some people like them all. Some people want one more than another. It doesn't matter, but they're all available and ready there for you at rabbidaniellappin.com. Have a wonderful week until we're next together a week from now on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Have a week of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. The Blaze On Demand. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin.